0: Hey lovelies, what the heck do you wear on a fifth date or a not super formal business meeting? You know those in-between events that are definitely not Shabbos but not quite regular every day either? Well, I designed a top and skirt especially for these times and if you are an avid podcast listener, you know that this message is long awaited and then it took a long time to get here and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you are going to want to go back and listen to last week's podcast episode where I take you through the good, the bad, and the ugly of what it took to actually get this top and skirt in your hands so let's talk about them starting with the top the fifth day top is all of the comfort of your favorite t-shirt with the elegant draping of a formal blouse it has an adjustable bow and this really luxurious ribbed knit fabric that gives you the perfect look and feel every time it matches with the fifth date skirt which is an asymmetrical skirt with a really flattering yoke and draped front that has the best fit around the butt you will ever see. The top comes in three colors cobalt slate and black and all three of those work with either of the skirt colors slate and steel and before you ask they are sold completely separately so you can mix and match to get the perfect combinations of colors and sizes and I am talking to you lovelies who wear a different size on top and bottom don't worry I got you they also work really well with staple pieces that you have in your closet so I'm actually wearing the 58 top right now with just a straight skirt that I love and I wear the 58 top with a plain t-shirt with no embellishment or no anything on it and it's Just a really great way, first of all, you know how I'm all about getting the most use out of the pieces in your closet, but they're just solid pieces that integrate into a thoughtful wardrobe really, really well. Both of them are online now, impactfashionnyc.com, available for purchase. There are some sizes that are running low, But the stock is pretty good right now as I'm recording this. So you can get them at ImpactFashionNYC.com. Oh, of course, the size range is super inclusive. The top is available in extra small through 2X. The extra small is equivalent to a 2.4. The 2X is equivalent to a 22.24. And the skirt comes in sizes 2 through 24. You can get them both at ImpactFashionNYC.com. Thank you so much for your support and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rikki Itzkowicz, and on today's show, I talk with a clinical psychologist about the state of mental health care in the Orthodox community. We discuss our community's fascination with Schick, what a typical client journey looks like, and if she thinks everyone should be in therapy. When Dr. Haya-Liba Kopernik first reached out and started telling me about her practice, the CBT-DBT Center, I was intrigued. Not just because I'm someone who is fascinated by therapy as a whole, but because of the way she approaches therapeutic practice. We sat down to discuss what this looks like in her day-to-day work. I think that was pretty
1: precocious. Um, (laughs) um, I was like a little kid. My parents, I was the oldest, and I think my, my parents say that I would, um, my parents were very, it's like Chesed, Kira, like a lot going on in that, a lot of charity and guests and busy house. And I would say, oh, fine, nobody's putting me to bed, I'll put myself to bed. Mm. Um, so I think <laughs> I was a little bit of like a, um, wanted to follow the rules, wanted to do the right thing.
0: I knew that. I where know. did you grow up?
1: <laughs> um, I grew up in Queens, in New York.
0: Wait, where in Queens? Kew Garden Hills. Wait, where? I'm in Kew Garden Hills. Really? I lived there my whole life. <laughs> Me too. One second. Where in Q Garden Hills do you live? And what is your maiden name? Hold on. Now we have to play Jewish geography.
1: Yeah. Q Garden Hills, 78th Road, uh, Park Drive East. Uh, wow. The end of the it's a small But world. I grew up on, but like half my childhood, I was on the block of Archaim. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. My brother was And Ar-Khain. then we just lived here until we made Aliyah.
0: Wow. I, I can't believe. See, this is, I think this might be the first time that I've had a Kew Garden Hills guest. This is very exciting. I mean, it's probably not. I just probably uh-huh. didn't realize. Wow, that's very <laughs> exciting. I have what's animated name? I have Intense Queen's Pride, Deitch.
1: Um, oh, adorable. I'm sure. Um, your brother was probably in the same class as my brother. I mean, there's a lot of Deitches, but you're yeah, probably that Deitch. You even you had a Deitch, yeah. You, you wait, who's your brother? Schmoey Burger.
0: Wait a second. Pause. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, wait, your are is yeah. kid? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. who got the, that's
0: who got the dress. That's who got the <laughs> dress. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is fantastic. Wow. I can't <laughs> believe that we just put all that together. Go freaking figure. Okay. Hi, how are you? I'm Rifki. Let's be friends. Um, that's wonderful. That's the first time that's ever happened on the show. Um, okay. So yeah. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Of course. I know your parents as like huge chesed people and just super involved in the community and yeah, uh, so when and I was everything. a kid, they had
1: like, we alternated between Jeff one Shabbos and Arachai in the next Shabbos, and then like once in a while off girls. So <laughs>
0: that's right, yeah. I, I totally You would have a super busy house. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we are going to get back on track. Um, I, so uh-huh. this is awesome. Um, okay. I, I feel like I always like, I like to let people know how we connect, even though you and I should have known each other, but that's a different story. Um, you reached well, out I'm probably a
1: couple years older than you.
0: Uh, probably okay either way you reached out to me um yes saying that you you know that you were the founder and director of this center called the cbt dbt center and 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 that mental health in the firm community was you know really important to you we we're really passionate about it and i i kind of just want to turn the the floor over to you um you are a um a clinical psychologist and i think that that's somewhat unusual i think i don't know i could be wrong there um And, you know, to have a mother of five who was a clinical psychologist, I assume that that was not super simple. Um, And I'd love for you to tell me just how you got involved in that, how you got, um, how you became interested in that and, and how that led to the work that you do today.
1: Yeah. So I was interested in mental health. I'm interested in people. I wanted to help people. I wanted to be helpful. And as I learned more and more about the field, I got really Angry. <laughs> I'm always talk about helpful anger. I was really angry about where things are at in mental health care, particularly in the from community. I'm sure there's issues outside of the community, but I care very much about the about the Orthodox Jewish community. Um, and I wanted to increase the quality of mental health care in the Orthodox Jewish community. So I really was very intent on getting very high quality training. Um, and really want to bring that back um, and, and, g- and get that accessible to the Orthodox Jewish community um, as, as mental health treatment. And then also getting mental health providers who are working in the Orthodox Jewish community um, access to better training, uh, more awareness in the community about what high quality mental health care looks like, what's available. What you don't need to settle for if it's not working for you. Um, so those are some of the the things that pretty that pretty much drive me and have driven me to do what I what I did because of all that. Yeah,
0: I I hear that. All of those are super important, especially in the from community. What was what was the process of schooling like? Like how did that how did that look for you? You know, I'm assuming juggling like a family and probably a, a, like a relatively new marriage, I'm guessing. So how did, like, how did you make all of that happen?
1: Okay. So in terms of school, schooling is intense. It was definitely intense. Um, and I, yeah, I got <laughs> actually, when I started grad school, I, I was single and somebody a couple of years ahead of me said to me, another, another Orthodox woman said to me, just don't get married the second year in your first semester, because that's the worst semester of the entire program.
0: And I'm guessing so you got that summer on like the when first I day. got, yeah, I got, yeah. married. yep. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: No, <laughs> smack in the middle, smack in the middle. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, that was, that was pretty bad. Um, but, <laughs> and then I got pregnant. Um, but I actually, I actually then had a miscarriage, which I like to say, because, uh, I did not know that Lots of people have miscarriages and it's, it's not the end of the world and doesn't have to like mean anything awful about the future. It's a horrible experience to go through, but it is, it is like even a sign of health that my body could recognize that this is not a healthy person to grow into a person. Um, so it's okay. But that was already like a huge, oh my gosh. And then I got pregnant with twins and then I even had a my third um, in our final year. So <laughs> that was a pretty wild Bunch of years, um, and how did I juggle it? Um, it was tough because you don't get any time off. You get zero time off when you're a student, and there's no there's really nothing to do about that. So they kept to kind of encouraging me, like, want to take the year off, and I was like, well, that's not really going to help anything. I'm not kind of like planning to give the kids away once I give birth to them, so. I don't know if it really helps to take a year off. I don't really' to do much for me. Um, so that wasn't really like a helpful option. So I just kind of had to keep figuring it out and figuring it out and figuring it out. And somehow we got through and graduated <laughs> and, and it was good.
0: Right, and you managed it. So talk to, about, talk to me about the CBT and DBT Center. Like how what is it? What is it? Can you explain the difference between those two things? Because this feels like an alphabet soup when I'm saying it. And sure, I don't really understand yes, these I words. Just, um, yeah. So what, what led you to decide that this was something that the from community needed?
1: I think um, um, seeing people go to therapy and have so much stigma just to even go in the first place and so much to overcome, just to even go in the first place and then not to have it help. And to hear people say, well, I just have depression. So this is what I have to deal with. Or things like, yeah, I've been going for a few years. I've been taking this medication for the last seven years. Don't really feel any better, but like, you know, at least I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Gosh, I'm very not into that. (laughs) Um, So that really made me upset, especially then learning what does work and seeing it work um, made me even angrier. Um, so that's really what drove me to, to be motivated, to care about this topic, to care about increasing access to care, to caring about my training, being super high quality and, um, figuring out ways to share that more broadly. Okay. I hear that. What is,
0: okay. As someone who has never been to therapy, yeah, to me. I am going to assume that going to I not I'm going to assume I do assume going to therapy is sitting on a big, fluffy couch and talking about somebody with your pro uh, to your problems like this. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. watching Curb Your Enthusiasm now. That is what happens when Larry David goes to therapy. He just fetches to the therapist and it's comical. But I assume that that's kind of what therapy is, that it's about, you yeah, know, having an objective here.
1: Yeah. But why, why would, why would you, why would we assume that when I have a problem, I'm going to go and fetch to somebody and then I'm going to, then my problems are going to go away. Is that not how this works? No. Why would it work? work? Why would that happen? Why would that happen? (laughs) I don't know. We have to actually understand scientifically, we can understand how different problems work, how different problems come to be. Potentially, there's different options of how different problems come to be, how different problems progress, and what different problems respond to. So we don't continue having those same problems. So yeah, part of it is sharing what's going on for sure. But we don't want to just sit on a couch on a couch and confect and pay the person two hundred bucks for that. That stinks. <laughs> don't that. do that. You pour your heart out. You give money. You give time. You give. I always say you're giving time. You're giving money. You're giving emotional energy. <laughs> like this better help, you know, this is better, get better. And, um, and, and, and venting and fetching is totally nice. I'm not against venting and fetching. I'm against it when it just feeds and feeds and feeds and doesn't go anywhere. So this has got to be going somewhere, you know, um, especially that, it, especially the fact that it can, you know, um, right. it's not that it can't, it can. So, so how it actually works, hopefully, hopefully, um, people work with somebody, like, ideally, people come to therapy, like in my, this is it. People come to therapy and they share a problem share what they want. I, I like to ask the question, like, you know, I say like, you know, when, when we graduate from therapy school they give us this magic wand. So I'm gonna wave my magic wand and everything's gonna be all better. Tell me what that looks like. So uh, the that, that gives me a picture of what we actually want to be different. We establish treatment goals. What do we wanna be different? And then every couple of months we check in on those goals are things happening? Are we reaching those goals? Are are things changing? Are things not changing? Maybe some things are changing and some things are not because we chose to prioritize these, but maybe these things are better now. And now we can go back to that other thing that you wanted to prioritize. Um, Yeah. So, so so establishing treatment goals, checking in on treatment goals, having a plan of how you're going to address those treatment goals.
0: Okay. So how does CBT and DBT fall into that? and, And what are those things?
1: Yeah. So let me explain the soup. (laughs) I Mm I actually just gave a lecture yesterday and I started off with that term describing and explaining and interpreting the alphabet soup. So yeah, there's a lot of different types of therapies out there. And I don't believe that one type of therapy is the right therapy for everyone. Um, or like the one that everyone needs by any means at all, different problems need different things to address those problems. Um, CBT is really, um, stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So that means it's a type of therapy. We're gonna work on improving how you feel. And the way that we're gonna do that is by working on your thoughts and your behaviors to impact how you feel. So CBT used to mean, originally actually, it was just behavior therapy, then it became cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and today really it it's more of an umbrella term to talk about a whole bunch of different therapies that are cognitive or behavioral in how they approach problems current therapies that are being, that are being developed in the last 20 to 30 years are what we call third wave CBT. The third wave, the first wave was behavior. The second wave was cognitive. And the third wave is acceptance and mindfulness based. So most newer therapies are going to be cognitive behavioral and acceptance, mindfulness stuff to address that particular problem. So that's CBT. And then DBT is a type of CBT. It's, uses how we think and how we behave to impact how we feel and dbt adds this d which stands for dialectical so dialectical is a philosophy that means there are always multiple truths basically we're trying to get people to live more in the gray to get out of the black and white and this can mean a lot of things i always give examples of i love my mom i hate my mom therapy helps and it's draining and taxing um School is moving me towards my long-term goals and it's exhausting and hard. Um, work is meaningful for me and challenging to juggle. Those are all dialectics. We have to live in this world of opposing truths.
0: That kind of sounds like, to me like good things can also be hard. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, like like learning to accept that gray area, as you call it. Mm-hmm. And living in the gray. Right, yeah, that that makes sense. You, you use this phrase and you talk a lot about um evidence-based therapies, particularly in the From community. Do you think that the From community has a problem embracing not evidence-based theories? Like why why is why is the evidence-based bit so important to you in the work that you do?
1: Yeah. Well, the evidence-based bit is important to me because I want people to reach their treatment goals and I know that there's things that work. I am not personally like Liba Kovernick, I am not personally like so devoted to um, you know, traditional standard medicine as being like the correct route for everything. Like I'm, I'm totally not married to that. What I am married to is results. I'm pretty married to that, I would say. Um, so I just, I want people getting to where they want to go. So there, I find that the from community has a particular fascination with, <laughs> well, I want to get in so much trouble now um, with um, shtick or with things that look nice or feel nice. Um, For example, we know with, with very pretty, pretty good confidence that any anxiety-based problem is going to need this concept of exposure. They're going to need exposure to what the, something, I'm going to say this, explain this briefly. Um, They're going to need exposure to the thing that's feared, to the feared, whatever it is. I'm afraid of cats. I need exposure to the cat. I'm afraid of disappointing people. I need exposure to the disappointing people with nothing bad happening. And even if the bad thing happens, I handled and survived it. And that rewires the brain. I always point to the back of my brain while I do that, because that rewires this basic um, back part of our brain that's very automatic to learn, I can handle this. And it's usually not going to be that bad. That needs to happen. So you can just do exposure or you can do shtick. Um, And I think a lot of, I think that doing exposure is hard and um, people... What would be an example people...
0: of of what you mean by shtick? Like the kinds of things that people try to yeah, engage in that I th- I are not think, helpful. I think
1: people I we want to be able to be supportive. We want to be able to be there for people. We want to have a lot of like um understanding and um and, and doing that that work, focused work, um, where we actually force change force, whatever work towards changes is is hard. I think it's hard to do it. And I think that it's hard for people to accept it. And I think that it's hard to understand, like, I'm going to do this. And I don't know. I think that, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's <laughs> hard.
0: Yeah, I think that it's also something that I found really interesting is I definitely, I want to say that I do think that there is a, there is a place, there's a time and a place when I think that it is appropriate to speak to a rub, let's say, about a particular issue. I also, think and know anecdotally that there are plenty of of rabbis that are essentially practicing therapy without a license that like they are being asked questions that are outside the scope of their expertise that really asked to a mental health professional and some are really great about referring out and some are not and Mm -hmm. that and that also i think creates a situation where there's like a i don't want to say like a distrust but a yeah um like a a disrespect almost for what a, like a licensed clinical psychologist, what someone who is actually certified and trained and went to school for these things, for the expertise that they have, as opposed to talking to some
1: Sombra. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, there's a lot, I think particularly in the firm community, there's a lot of people who want to help, which is wonderful. It's coming from a great place. Unfortunately, a side effect of that is that there might end up being people who get not great help and then aren't really motivated to continue um, getting anything further than that. One thing I can say on the question of why for mental health professionals are less embracing of evidence-based practice, I think has to do with, I think that as a community, we want to, we just want to move quickly through education Um, which makes sense. We want to have families. We want to support our husbands in Kolel. We want, um, after Kolel, we want to get jobs quickly. So people want to kind of move through their education. And and I, I get that and I respect that because I don't, you know, want people hanging out in universities where you learn all kinds of interesting things for so long. And I think an unfortunate side effect of that is that we have less exposure to science. We have less exposure to current trends in research. Uh, we have less exposure to um, really high quality training. So I, I see that also as that's part an interesting of the point. I,
0: I definitely hear that. How like you because you're right. It is all like college was something that everyone just wants to do really fast, and that and yeah, I could totally see how that would have um, how that would have an, an effect on that. Um, I don't think we mentioned what is the CBT-DBT center can you tell everyone? Sure.
1: We're a group psychotherapy practice and we do really great therapy. Um, we also try to increase access to services. So for example, um, we do DBT for children, um, which has a heavy parenting component, but because we're limited by licensure, we are only able to serve clients in the, in the locations in which we're licensed. Um, if we can offer something as a non-therapeutic service, we'll try to do that because that will then open, open us up to be able to offer it outside of those areas. So we have, for example, a parenting course, that's the parenting portion of DBTC, but it's a parenting course. So it's not, not necessarily therapeutic per se. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. That's, that's clever. Um... Yeah. So we've got <laughs> mostly we're doing group there. We're doing, um, sorry, mostly we're doing individual and group and family-based psychotherapy, Uh, and then we're also doing like courses here and there, but these are not like your average, you know, course that you sign up for. That's, you know, super cool and super fun. This is really like, you know, delivered by mental professionals and based on good stuff. That's awesome.
0: I'm curious, what does a, like a typical client journey through your program look like, um, you said, you know, you mentioned that you work with kids and families or whatever. I like what kind of problems are people coming to you to you for with their kids? And what what does mm-hmm. that look like? Like, take me through, let's say, I don't know. Let's come up with a name, whatever. Some kid. Shandy. Um, okay, perfect. Shandy. Um, Shandy's got a problem. Go.
1: So, so honestly, it depends if it's a child or an, or an adult. Let's start with adults because we, we mostly have adults. So we do get a lot of kids also. Um, so adults can have, we, people can have all different kinds of problems. A person can have an, an anxiety disorder, panic attacks, trauma, um, and a lot of our clients because we do DBT and there's not that much uh, DBT, adherent DBT um, in the from community. Um, a lot of people come to us for that. And that those clients are typically struggling with overwhelming emotions, feeling like their emotions are really running the show. They really feel like they're losing it. Sometimes they're not in control. Um, and then that can lead to all kinds of really fun behaviors that are not working for the person long-term, um, but really help in the short term to actually manage how, how bad they feel. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of those kinds of people are coming to us and that's the same for adults, teens, and children. That problem plays out across the lifespan um, and looks different at different ages. So we'll, we'll, we'll be, we serve a lot of clients like that. So person calls up, <laughs> we say, Hey, how can we help you? And we match them to a therapist with availability who meets their clinical needs. Um, and then they have an intake where we really get to know them, really get to know what's going on Um, get like a fuller assessment, a fuller picture of what's happening. And then together we're going to establish treatment goals. What do they want out of treatment? And we'll make a plan together of how we're going to address those goals. Uh, Then we'll send assessments and surveys that we know if, so that we'll get a baseline and we'll know over time if things are actually helping or not. And then we'll start therapy. Uh, Very often we'll also add in group therapy, um, particularly for, for DBT clients, we do a DBT skills group. Um, So we might, we might add that piece if somebody needs or will benefit from that. And Will also include, you know, speaking with the person's spouse or parent or school if that's relevant, um, and we'll also do phone coaching in between sessions if that's going to be helpful to get in the moment um, support in actually making the changes that we're talking about in session.
0: Right. So, what what are the kinds of issues that that DBT can be helpful for?
1: Yeah, DBT can be helpful. Oh, I didn't answer. How people eventually people graduate. That's a thing, by us. People graduate I, let's talk about they, that. What is Yeah, let's I'm talk so about curious that. about
0: this. What does graduating therapy look like? Again, I've never been to mm-hmm. therapy. I I only have like yeah. I've had a ton of these podcast conversations about it. I'm a big fan of therapy for people who need it. It's just not something that I feel is missing from my life. And what is like I presume does it just mean that like your life no longer sucks? Like how does this work?
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's such a great. I, I love this. I love this topic. Um, So people sometimes reach the goals that they came to therapy to work on. Like that happens and then they no longer need to be in therapy. So very often people will titrate down at that point to like every other week sessions. And then sometimes even to a once a month sessions until they finally say, you know, what, I think I'm, I think I'm good for now. But we always say is you're not kicked out. If, 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 if the, if the, if in the future, the an increase in stressors outweighs the, the resources that you have, you're always welcome to come back. But at this point right now, you're okay. You don't need this. And I would say like my goal of meeting with you is so that you don't continue to meet with me. I don't, I don't want to see you anymore. I want you to go out and live your amazing life without me. <laughs> Goodbye. Get out. Um, that's my goal. You don't, that you don't need me. <laughs> Um, and the same thing, especially for, for kids also, oh my gosh, I want you to be able to rely on your parents, your caregivers, your support system, and not need me. Like that's the people that you are going to have for a while, be able to rely on them, not on me. I don't want you tied to me. I don't, you know, even what you're saying, like you're not in therapy, you haven't been into therapy. Um, I think there's a big movement for therapy is for everyone. And I'm so not a believer in, I believe that anybody who wants therapy deserves to get excellent therapy if they want it, but not everyone needs to be in therapy and not forever. You can just actually have a problem, get the help for it. and Like I've heard a lot of
0: people, I've heard a lot of people talk about like, uh, everyone should be in therapy. Therapy is fantastic for everyone. And when I hear that again, as someone who has never gone to therapy, when I hear that, I just think like, I don't know. I'm fine. Like it's <laughs> for, for me, it's, you know, there have been times, obviously when I've, everyone has, you know, worse times or harder times or whatever. Um, I have a fantastic mm-hmm. support system around me, my family, my, you know, my husband, my, you know, I have, I'm surrounded by a village of caring people and, you know, we talk it out when necessary, we help each other out. And, and then, you know, and then we're like, we're able to deal with it. In my head therapy was always, if you mm-hmm. couldn't deal with it, then, like that's when you need to call in a professional. Maybe that's why I've resisted, mm-hmm. not resisted. Cause like, there's never been a time when I've been like, <laughs> I should be in therapy and not go. But like, maybe that would theoretically make it like harder to go. Cause I think of it as like, you're in crisis, you go to therapy. So maybe not now I'm psychoanalyzing mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. but
1: either way. I do like to differentiate I do like to differentiate like need versus want. You know, you might consider somebody needing therapy if they're not functioning in some area. They're not managing in work. They're not managing in school. They're getting kicked out of school. Their family hates them. They're they're about to get divorced. Whatever it is, that 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 would be I would say a need. They're staying in bed all day. They're not managing. That's a need. But there's a lot of times where we want therapy because we're suffering and we don't need to suffer and there is help. So I think that's the that that I think is is a, a much more helpful message of. People don't need to suffer. There's ways to get better. That doesn't mean that every single person is going to go to therapy and within three weeks everything's going to be all gone. But that does mean that like th- this can, this doesn't have to continue this way. Like this could, this could stop. Like panic attacks are so treatable. Like get help. You don't have to suffer. Like so many people suffer with that. Um, right. But uh, but overall,
0: this idea that like everyone should be in therapy, though, like we should all have a professional to discuss their issues with, our issues with.
1: I don't know. It seems like overkill. I don't see why. I, I definitely think it's overkill. And I think it also loses the message of therapy. Therapy is not advice. Definitely not. advice. I mean, any therapist who's giving advice, it's, it's really questionable. They should not be giving advice because really you have all the answers. I happen to know the science and I can guide you in helping to find your answers, but I don't know the answers. You you are the only one who knows.
0: That's so interesting. Therapy is not advice. It's not like going to someone to have your life problem solved. It's learning the skills to solve your own life problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I learned something. Go figure. Um, <laughs> the okay, I, I hear that. So so when when you graduate from therapy, let's say, that's what like what does that look like? What does that what does that mean going forward for your clients?
1: Yeah. So when you're graduating from therapy, hopefully you're in a space where you feel that you've reached the goals that you came to there before you feel confident enough that you'll be able to continue to manage on your own, even though it's going to be continual work, but you've got what you need to go with it. You don't need to be meeting weekly with somebody or even every other week or even once a month with somebody because you've got it for now. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to continue to do this work. And it also doesn't mean that you can't go back if you need it, but it means that you're, you're where you you're, you're kind of okay now, and you can just go out and live the amazing life you want to live and go forth you know
0: right and 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 go and do the thing that's that's really interesting the i want to go back a little bit to a phrase that you actually used very towards the beginning of our conversation you used this phrase helpful anger um and that you had this helpful Mm -hmm. anger Mm -hmm. around how uh, around how mental health is is kind of dealt with in the from community i'm curious if you could tell me more about that like what is helpful anger and how can we harness that
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. So DBT, like I say, like um, CBT is cognitive and behavioral. DBT is, it's supposed to be cognitive behavioral, but really it's very emotion focused. Um, So (laughs) heavy on the emotion part. Um, So one of the things we talk about is um, how, I mean, a lot of what we talk about is how to to handle emotions. And I spend a lot of time just kind of re-educating about how emotions work. And emotions, I explain, are gifts from God. God created a world in which we have emotions. Why? Why do you do that? Because we need emotions. If you don't have emotions, you are a psychopath. That's just how it is. So you need to have emotions in order to be a healthy, functioning human. You need to feel sad when you lose somebody you love or your best friend moves away or you change roles. Like you used to be single and now you're married. You used to um, be, you um, kind like, of whatever not a mother and now you are a mother that's a loss of a role and that needs to be processed S- sadness is going to allow you to feel that it's going to give you space for that it's going to force that sadness motivates us to isolate sadness motivates us to um to cry sadness motivates us to um do less and that is all necessary for grieving and for processing any kind of loss small loss big loss all that is going to have some level of sadness anxiety shows up when there's a danger. When there's danger, I sure, sure, sure hope that you feel anxious because if you don't, you'd be like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a pretty big fire. Hmm. What do I do to do about that. Hmm. <laughs> Anxiety is going to be like, ah, it's a fire. It's going to motivate your whole system to, to step up. And so you need that, you need that fear to, to take care of you. Even the night before a big test, you need that fear to drive you to study hard, to perform well, without any anxiety, we, there's no performance. We're not going to perform. We're not going to show up. Um, and anger, anger is helpful when an important goal is being blocked. Anger motivates us to push through that. And to so so every emotion can can be helpful. Sometimes we feel emotions at times when they're not helpful, like if somebody's depressed and they're staying in bed all day long every day for a few weeks, that is not helpful. That's reached a place where that is not helpful. And even like on smaller scale, sometimes we're feeling sadness, that's unhelpful. Sometimes we're feeling anxiety, that's not helpful because there's no actual danger. Um, So for each emotion, anxiety, great time. And when it's unhelpful, basically there are a lot of different strategies I can teach for how to deal with emotions once they become unhelpful. But I think it's just really helpful to even understand That sometimes emotions are helpful and they just need to be listened to, respected, given their space.
0: Right. What would some of those strategies look like? Like, let's say if you're in an anxiety situation where the, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say full blown panic attack, but you are more anxious relative to whatever the stressor is. What are some ways to turn the volume down?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So I'll teach you just conceptually how this works and then you'll be able to figure out. I'm very into that. Like, I want you to understand how things work so you can figure out how to apply it yourself. I don't need to teach you like breathe four times in and then like spin around in a circle. No need. Um, Understand why to do that. And you'll be able to decide what to do on your own. So, um, so when emotions are unhelpful, basically we want to cut off what's feeding them. When an emotion, whenever there's an emotion, it's kind of like lighting a fire in a fireplace. When you light a fire in the fireplace, what's going to happen eventually to the fire? It goes out. Exactly. That's what's going to happen to an emotion. That's what's going to happen to emotion. Emotions don't last. The only reason emotion lasts and continues is if we continue to feed it. We add more logs to the fire. So logs can be a few different things. We can add thought logs. So, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I can never handle this. This this is it going to be a disaster. This is going to all fall apart. It's going to all be on me. Everyone's going to know. Okay. That's the feeding it with thoughts. Feeding it with behavior is, um, let's say for anxiety, like running away, canceling the appointment or, or canceling the um, the date, whatever it is, the thing that we're, that we're um, anxious about, avoiding it, running away from it. And then we can also feed it with our bodies. So we can breathe in like, <gasps> oh my gosh, Oh um we can be really tense in our body or things that we do in our body that holds the emotion so any of these three things you can feed the emotion if you want the emotion to stop or to get less intensity you've got to do the opposite the opposite thoughts the opposite actions and the opposite uh, body sensations so for example in your body you might hold a small smile like A small smile where just the tips of your mouth are a little bit tilted up. You don't have to like fake smile or whatever. Just a little bit tilted up is going to communicate to your brain. Chill out. Um, Opposite action would be to don't avoid run away, but approach the thing that you're scared of. Do it. Just do it. Nike. Um, And opposite thinking would be stop feeding that thought cut off the thought and say like, I'm okay. This is what I'm doing. I'm okay. This is what I'm doing. I'm showing up fully right now and I'm going to be oh, it's fine. Um, so fully like embracing and throwing yourself in. So yeah, cutting off the food supply basically is the way that emotions can, when they're unhelpful, will come down. If the emotion is helpful, it's going to keep on saying, no, listen to me, listen to me until you listen. <laughs> Cause it's no, Got it knows it's needed.
0: Got it. So instead of let's say, let's say you're anxious about, I don't know, like a public speaking thing, instead of, you know, going through your head, all the ways in which, like, you'll accidentally forget to zip your fly and your pants are going to fall down in the middle to just, to just be like, to just keep saying, I'm going to be okay. This is going to be okay. Take some deep breaths and go through with it.
1: Yeah. Like I am fine. I'm showing up for this fully, like, I'm going to survive this type thing and do it. The most important thing is to do it. It's going to be fine because everyone's going to just know that I'm new or everyone's going to just, be gracious to me because they're a nice crowd. No, 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 no. We don't need to tell ourselves any any stories about it. Just, just the truth, the total truth. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to show up fully. I'm going to be all in, and I'm going to be okay.
0: I hear that. That that makes sense to me. Talk to me about stress. Is is stress an emotion, or is like how does how does stress play in our is, lives? Stress
1: is a subset. Stress is a subset of fear. Fear, anxiety, stress is under that category. So it works the same way. Um, when we have additional Stuff on our plate, we start to feel more pressure. we start to feel more fear, um, and, and that can <laughs> pile up and become unhealthy and unhelpful, and to the point where we can get like to a place of paralysis. So, basically, the way anxiety works is when there's no anxiety, there's no performance, like we just kind of shut down and do nothing, like we don't care. Um, if there's the healthy amount of anxiety, it's gonna have us perform, right? I'm nervous about this speech, I'm gonna prepare, prepare. I'm nervous about this fire. I'm gonna nervous. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm terrified of this fire. I'm going to run away. Um, and when there's no anxiety, Oh, sorry. When there's too much anxiety, then we shut down. We just get overwhelmed, paralyzed, and we just stop. There's
0: too much to do. I might as well not try.
1: Or like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't know how to Mm -hmm. do this or like, or my plate is so full that I just kind of like hit overwhelm and then stop max out. So, yeah, so stress is along that, it works the same way. That's why I like say, like, there's a lot of different words we use for emotions. There's only a few core emotions that they all work the same way, like agitation, annoyed, irritated, frustrated, is all subsets of anger. So, they're all going to work the same way as anger, fear, uh, stress, anxiety, um, tension, pressure, whatever is all going to fall under the same anxiety spectrum.
0: Got it. So, what you're saying is that inside out is accurate
1: actually I never saw that movie i know what I know, you would I love know, it i know all the psychologists went and i was <laughs> i went with my and mom like, and we really enjoyed it
0: we really like oh you should definitely get yourself a disney plus subscription <laughs> and watch it you would truly enjoy it it's very good
1: i i i th- that is the word on the psychology block that is the word okay yeah so it's supposed to be it's pretty pretty in line with uh
0: Pretty accurate. Talk about it, I will, ends. I will, yes. I will um, defer to the psychology WhatsApp chats that say that this is true and go for
1: <laughs> this it. This is important, <laughs> important viewing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. If there was one thing people could know about therapy, you know, if, if you could just like shout one thing from the rooftops, I give you a magic wand and every person knows this one thing,
1: what would it be? Ah, uh. I love this question. No one's ever asked me that. <laughs> if I could give everybody one piece of information, it would be that you don't have to suffer. There is help for mental health related problems. And if therapy is not working for you, find a way to get the help that you deserve because there is a way to get it.
0: I, well, we have to end there. Cause that's just so I think, I I think that that perfectly encompasses you and who you are and, and the work that you're doing. And that's just, that's, that's really special. And I also, I want to, you know, just to add my uh, totally unqualified two cents that the, I think the key word there is deserve. Everyone is deserving of getting the help that they need. And, and if, and if you feel like you need help, then please keep looking until you find it, because that is something that is you know you you can you can do this and and you are worth trying to to figure it out. So um, Dr. Kylie Bukopernik, if somebody wants to learn
1: more about you, where can they go? Our website has a lot of information on it. It's the cbtdbtcenter.com.
0: Okay, and I'm going to include that link in the show notes for anyone who needs it. And the last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show and that is what does it mean to you to make an impact?
1: I think I'll steal a line from Brene Brown, who I think stole it from maybe Teddy Roosevelt. I don't remember right now. Um, daring greatly, <laughs> being willing to see see a problem and uh, be, be risky enough to do whatever it takes to solve it, to push past whatever's, whatever whatever barriers there are and dare greatly. I love that. Thank you
0: so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really enjoyed being here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Hialeba Kopernik, her links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, I went solo and broke down the good, the bad, and the ugly about putting together the fifth day top and skirt. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 17 people listed by Ora Note as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fettman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Riff Yitzquitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. And one more thing. As you know, I have teamed up with several other fantastic female podcasters to introduce you to some other shows that I think that you might like. So every week I'm featuring a different one of their shows and I hope that you go to check them out because there's some fun stuff there. And this week's feature is Drink It In with Jordana.
1: Hi, my name is Jordana and welcome to Drink It in the Podcast. I am an experienced educator with an engaging and entertaining way of interacting with others. I spent years working on providing thoughts that translate into inspiration. I have one very simple goal, get you inspired. This podcast is my latest endeavor as we discuss all kinds of interesting topics covering all genres. Come ride with us on the Drink It In podcast. What are you waiting for? Grab a glass, a cup of coffee, and let's get to it available everywhere podcasts are. Check out even more at maverickpodcasting.com.